Hello and welcome to Sports Council. I am Matt and I am here with my guests Vivek and G. Today is June 23rd, 6-23, and this is the 23rd episode of Sports Council. And we're going to start things off right away. Yesterday was the Clippers and Suns Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. The Suns were able to go up 2-0 in the series thanks to a miraculous alley-oop from Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton. And they're calling it the Valley Oop with 0.9 seconds, uh, 0.9 seconds on the clock. Um, DeAndre Ayton was able to finish a basket that put the Suns up by one and ultimately won them the game. So guys, I want to get your takeaways from this game too. Other than that kind of miraculous finish, what else did you uh, take away from it? Well, First, I mean, you yeah, go ahead, Chi. All right, yeah, what I was going to say is um, I think it was as, a, you know, Kawhi and CP being out, you'd think the level of basketball would be a bit lower than it would. But I thought that, like, honestly, this game was like really had that Western Conference Finals um, mentality. And you could just tell that both teams really don't like each other. And I don't think like CP and Kawhi would really like, you know, are instigators like that. But I think the real beef is, you know, between Devin Booker and Paul George and all of that is very, it's like very entertaining to watch, especially because now both are, you know, supposed to be the best players on their team as their do other players are out. Um, you know, but just speaking on game two, um, I really did think that last play call couldn't have been drawn out better, you know, you kind of like practice things like that, but you never know if it actually will, you know, work out like that. Um, yeah, I know if you guys remember, I think it was like 2017, the Suns also had a very similar alley-oop with uh, Tyson Chandler. So it was kind of cool, you know, a lot of callbacks. Yeah, in yesterday's game, Devin Booker with his broken nose, very similar to when uh, Steve Nash broke his nose against the Spurs in 2009, you know. So I think that was a pretty cool little callbacks twice in the, in the game. But also, you know, the, as a CP fan, you know, it was amazing watching him go up 2-0 against his former team, and he hasn't even played a game yet. So I think it's actually looking really good for them. I think it, they have to at least take one. And I'm not sure what the, the situation with Kawhi is. They said CP is going to be back for game three. That was announced today. But, um, yeah, there's been no word about Kawhi. He didn't travel to Phoenix, so that's usually not a good sign. But I don't know, man. Kawhi's robotic. He probably just put in a new knee and hop back in. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you, Chi. I think that the Suns' last game had a lot of great callbacks to previous moments in which they've shown in the past, you know, with the Chandler alley-oop. Then even the motif with the broken nose that he pointed out with Steve Nash having it back then and now, you know, Booker having it now. It's very clear that this has been a very gritty series and it's been very, very enjoyable to watch. Um, and how about the value too? Actually, I was watching the DeAndre Aiden um, post-game interview and he didn't even practice that at all. He said that he didn't practice that during like any game in game practice or. Have you seen uh, the Monty, Monty Williams? They had like the thing where you could uh, hear in and you could hear him in the huddles just saying, he's like, I'm going to the ball's up there. You just got to quickly grab it and just dunk it. And I felt like that was just so funny. Like the way he just broke down the most like crazy <laughs> play of the year, just grab it and dunk it quick. You know, like, just do it. Just dunk it. Yeah. It was, it was legitimately incredible, right? Like they, they basically kind of had like a full timeout because what basically happened is that like during the last few seconds of the game, what ended up happening essentially was that McKill Bridges shot a three, but it went off Terrence Mann and the Clippers sort of challenge um, who went out of just to get it, like just to try to get a contest on the call. And what ended up happening was basically like, it was pretty clear that Terrence Mann had the ball out. But when they were doing the game time review, what the Suns basically got was essentially like a timeout, which they could basically like 
ba- draw up a play where they can basically go over what they were going to do. The Suns pairs went into a huddle and discussed exactly what the play was going to be, which I thought was, you know, taking advantage of that uh, moment that the Clippers made. Actually, I really do feel like if the Clippers didn't contest and call for that timeout or call for that uh, uh, contest on what the ruling was on the floor, I think that the Clippers walk away and win this game. But they ended up or, not doing that. Or if you have your best player hit two free throws at the end of the game, you know, that well, could also win you a game. Yeah, that could also, that that could also win you the game as well. <laughs> you know, I, I think that to be fair, Paul George was very clutch up until those two free throws. You know, Paul yeah, George he made, caught he him made the basket back right the before that. Yeah, I mean, he, he scored like nine points in the clutch. So, you know, he give it to take away. But, you know, I definitely do think that you got to hit the free throws, man. Paul George did all the hard heavy lifting up until that point. But, man, you got to make your free throws, man. I, I don't know what to say about that. Especially it's at like the end of the game, two. you're going 0 for 2, maybe yeah. 1 for 2. And you're like, okay, you know, you can live with that. It's okay. Yeah. Like, you choke one, you know, it sucks. You, and you obviously wanted to be up 3 instead of up 2. But yeah. then you make the second, right? And then you live with it, you know, because that'd be tied game at that point. Remember, they were up one. So yeah. with one of two, they would have been tied going to overtime off the eight and love. But instead, you know, he choked both. And I think we all know what happened after that. Definitely. It, it definitely Ball changed game. it. Ball yeah. game. Let him know. <laughs> I, I definitely do think that that has to be one of the slickest and most impressive game winners I've ever seen in the playoffs. Like for never sure. And they didn't get Monty Williams coach of the year, which is the craziest part to me. Is Amen. that like something Tom like Thibodeau, that, man. not practiced, <laughs> not practiced, and just came up on spot, you know, missing your star point guard, and you still come up with a play like that, executed to mere perfectness, shows how valuable and how oh, yeah. deserving of a coach of the year award Monty Williams really is. And then you look at Tom Thibodeau's fucking out the playoffs, bro. First round bounced by the Hawks, you know, like and they gave him coach of the year. Like that's crazy to me. That's absolutely absurd. Hey man, maybe it's East Coast bias, but uh, I mean, it really is a testament to what Monty Williams has been able to accomplish in Phoenix because, you know, these Suns were hot in the bubble. We know that. We all know that. They were like 8-0 or something. And then they were able to build upon that and they were able to um, like get a leader like Chris Paul in there. They got Jay Crowder. They got all these bench pieces and then they've been able to move the ball like crazy. And like they were, they've gotten themselves to the second seed um, based off of all this execution. And they just feel like a lot more of an established team. And people keep saying that, you know, oh, they're eventually going to lose because they don't have the playoff experience. They don't have like this or that. Um, they don't have an established like person that can lead them, right? They have Chris Paul, but like they they've been saying all the, they've been doubting this entire time, and the fact that they were able to sweep the Nuggets and the MVP in Jokic, they were able to beat the defending champions and the Lakers, and now they're up two zero in the Western Conference Finals. So, yeah. What's our what is what's our series prediction for the rest of the series? Do we think Kawhi comes back? I mean, if Kawhi doesn't come back, I'm pretty comfortable saying that the Suns just have enough depth to overcome, like, what the Clippers can throw at them. I mean, yeah, CP comes back next game. So, I mean, unless Kawhi's coming back next game, I don't know how. And if Chris Paul comes back to their primary playmaker, I mean, Devin Booker (laughs) was phenomenal at playmaking in game one. I thought he played basically nearly a perfect game. You know, he was hitting shots, he was distributing. This game, he was kind of more passive. So Cameron you know who, Payne? Cameron Payne stepped up, though. 29, 29? points, oh 9 assists, <laughs> 37 minutes of play. I mean, 
you, you can't really ask for much more out of your backup point guard. I mean, Cameron Payne like was Chris literally Paul. in that China. Man like Chris, that man looked like Chris Paul makes with James Harden out there, the left-handed three-point shot, and then he just finding yeah. people I open. Love his, I love his shot. <laughs> I love when campaign. Yeah, he, he, he just does a, a drive. Oh, my God, it's beautiful. It. it always high off the glass, but it's so soft, and it always just bounces right into the rim, and it's just it's like beautiful, you know? He's just he's just a really pure effort player, you know. Like he just puts it all on the court, and yeah, yeah, I don't think like the Clippers really have many players like that, you know. I mean, that's I feel like the big difference is that like the Suns are doing whatever it takes to win, you know. And I'm not saying the Clippers aren't in the sense that like I just don't feel like uh, at the end of games and at uh, at certain points of the game they're not like as locked in as the Suns are, which I feel like is the biggest difference between why they're not up 2-0 and they're down 2-0. Yeah. Is anyone willing to say Suns in four? Yes, I am saying it. I'm saying Chris Paul comes back, game three is <laughs> in the book. And then I'm by, give when, you're down 3-0, when you're down 3-0, I think it's a, I think it's a done, done deal. Okay. Even though I would love to see them win in Phoenix, I think that'd be like – because their crowd is one of the best in the NBA now. It has to be. Yeah, they're yeah. wild out there. They're wild. I mean, they, they don't know what COVID is out there. Oh yeah. well, yeah, that was always a given. <laughs> <laughs> but man, they they bring the energy. They really do. I mean, Talking Stick Resort Arena. That's that's definitely a place that I will check out in the future. Talking those, Stick those, Resort Arena. That is the name of the arena. <laughs> but their, their fans go crazy. I mean, you got the Suns and Four fan. You know, He's a legend now. He'd be, yeah. auto, he'd be signing autographs, <laughs> and having his yeah. own toys and stuff, bro. It's he has a toy. Yeah, he has a little action figure, and he just has his fingers in a four, and then hand in a fist. <laughs> oh, my. oh God! Did you see the guy? There's the uh, Nuggets fan who interviewed. He also did the interview. The guy who got beat. Oh up. yeah, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, that was that was the really funny. thing ever. He wore the same stuff too. Oh my lord! Yeah, like I've never a seen, I've never seen someone well. get their ass beat and get interviewed. Yeah, he did a he did a post game analysis. You know, <laughs> he probably doesn't even remember what happened. <laughs> Oh, man, I, playoff basketball is great, man. I'm glad it's back with the fans, too. Definitely yeah, adds more never would have gotten this without the fans. Thanks. Oh, fans. yeah, definitely not. Thank you. And then what are you guys thinking about from the East Eastern Conference now? We have the game one starting tonight with the Hawks and the um, Bucks. I think it should be a good series. Um, I don't, I'm not honestly really on the fence of what, I'm, what side I'm leaning towards. So I'm, I'm going to go last and see if one of you guys convince me to take one side. Sure. So I'll go ahead and start off first. I'm all in on the Hawks this season. I really believe in their depth. I think that they're the deepest team in the league. I mean, if you look at their roster, they basically either have like pretty highly like drafted or highly rated prospects, like first rounders, or they have very experienced veterans. Um, And then obviously they got their trio of Trey Collins and Capella. I mean, those three have basically been their best players and helped spark that comeback from, you know, their pretty abysmal start under Lloyd Pierce. But then under Nick McMillan, they've been basically one of the best teams in the league. And they're playing it like it right now, too. Uh, I was very impressed by their win over the Sixers. I mean, obviously, we'll go, we'll go a lot more into the Sixers in a bit, but they definitely showed a lot of grit and poise um, coming back from, a 16-point deficit and then a 29-point deficit. I thought for a team that's basically going to the playoffs, this iteration of the team, uh, this is their first time in the playoffs. You know, Trey, Collins, um, Herder, all their young guys, they really impressed me. And I also am biased because the Cox, they've basically been unabashed that 
they've poached a lot of Warriors front office people in the past, a lot of their coaching staff, their trainers, even even their head of data analytics came from the Warriors too. So they're basically building this team like uh, to be a mini Warriors. And so uh, I appreciate the call out, you know, respecting game respects game, right? So I definitely do think that the Hawks are a great team and that um, I think that shooting matters too, right? I think that the Bucks. Giannis isn't really the closer. Uh, I mean, Middleton is, and sometimes even Drew. And I just think that the Hawks just have too much talent around the perimeter, and they can just split them out. Well, I appreciate all that, and I think that the Hawks were going to win that series um, in the end over the Sixers. Um, they just kind of had their number near the end. And... But I think that I'm going to go in the opposite direction here. Like, I appreciate Trey Young, and I think that he is doing better than expected as well. And Nate McMillan taking over for Lloyd Pierce after he gets fired and making the Hawks one of the most composed teams in the NBA, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, And, you know, they got that trio of Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella. But let's not forget Kevin Huerter, who also scored 27, I believe, to put away game seven they got a lot of shooters but the thing about these milwaukee bucks is that you know they just came off the most brutal seven game series that i've seen like and they barely like eked it out a couple times they got blown out in the first two games came back in the next two um then they choked again in game five and they managed to rally back to win um in seven over what we believe was probably the most overpowered team this uh, like year in Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I know they didn't face the entire iteration of them, but um, it was still a pretty big challenge, especially when they had to go up against the greatest player in the world in Kevin Durant. And I think that, you know, it's just the Bucks' time at this point, right? I don't think Giannis is going to let his championship go away due to, you know, Trey Young or Kevin Huerter, or Clint Capella. He's had to go up against guys like Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, you know, Jimmy Butler, guys like that. And he's heard it all. He's heard all the haters these past two years. And, you know, this guy has something to prove. He absolutely, you know, he isn't the best shooter. He isn't like, he isn't the most complete MVP that we've ever seen, but he is absolutely hungry and he's still one of the most unstoppable players inside the paint. And I think Chris Middleton is still going to do his thing. I think, you know, the addition of Drew Holiday is going to really help, especially in this series against Trey Young. And I don't think that this Bucks team, unless something just isn't right with Milwaukee and Mike Budenholzer is just going to like screw the pooch again somehow, and choke in the Eastern Conference Finals for the third time. But I just don't see this Bucks team losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they at least make it to the finals, and I think they at least represent the um, the East. I'm a little bit more uncertain. I was going to pick the Bucks to win the entire thing. I said whoever was going to win the Bucks net series was going to win the championship. I'm a little bit more uncertain because these Suns look really good. But right now, I'm still going to stick with my Bucks pick. I'm going to say Bucks in five. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you guys. I think, or at least with Matt, I think I got the Bucks now. I think they have enough defenders to cover all the Hawks shooters. You know, Hawks have plenty of shooters, but, you know, if you think about Bucks, what the best at is their defense and perimeter defense in that they have Drew Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, all of them defending. So I think it's pretty good for their defense.
Yeah. And let's just go on real quick. And I know we have to cover the um, Eastern Conference semifinals and the Western Conference semifinals, but I want to take a quick look at the NBA draft lottery that took place yesterday night as well. And what eventually ended up happening was the Detroit Pistons landed the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes. They got number one overall. I believe the Houston Rockets got number two, and then Cavs three and Raptors four. And then um, rounding out the rest, um, the only ones that are important, I think, in my mind, are the Golden State Warriors getting seven and 14. So, Vivek, I want to get your opinion here. Um, with the Warriors in particular, who do you see them targeting, I, at least at number seven, and maybe add in a 14th pick if you want? Yeah, so I think that this draft is definitely like pretty heavy around like top four, top five. So like Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Suggs, Kuminga. I think those are kind of like the five prize possessions of the draft. And the Warriors being seven, uh, they aren't going to be able to gain access to any of those guys, right? But in my opinion, if I had to pick one person that I would choose um, for the Warriors, who I think would help a lot. I think it would be Scotty Barnes. Um, he's a small forward, power forward, played for Florida State. And basically, he, he kind of is like a Draymond Green, Green in many ways. You know, he's very powerful, very versatile. Um, he's able to attack the rim. He has like a lot of strength and speed. And um, he also plays the floor well on both sides. So, He's good at playmaking. His con card is his defense for sure. And um, I, I definitely think that the Warriors can use those things right now as it is because let's face it, right? When Draymond Green isn't playing on the floor, we basically have no bigs that can playmake. Um, I mean, you got Eric Pascal, you got Kevon Looney, got Wiseman. None of those guys look to basically become playmakers and people who can actually be like a defensive ace like someone who can call up plays i think that scotty barnes has the potential too i also think that we need more slashers um i think that you know scotty barnes can also do that as well and i think that's the person that even draymond green himself would like to pick i he's talked up this guy before as well seeing that he would love to have him or that he's a great player he couldn't say i think directly that the worst want him on the team but he basically implied that as well so if I were to choose somebody who the Warriors would go for, I think if he's available, then I think Barnes would be the guy. The last three times that the Warriors have had the seventh overall pick, I believe they selected Rick Barry, Stephen Curry, and Harrison Barnes. So uh, two out of three aren't bad, and maybe they're going to get another Barnes. With hey, 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 don't, don't disrespect Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes cost the 2016 finals. <laughs> I will absolutely disrespect him. <laughs> I, I do just, agree with Vivek, though. I do like uh, Scotty, uh, Scotty Barnes from uh, FSU, but he is very similar to Draymond, which I, I don't, which is also like, do you feel like, like, don't you feel like the Warriors would need more of a, a backup guard? You know, now that Clay's coming back, right? You're yeah. going to lose Oubre. So he kind of just takes Oubre's spot in the starting lineup. So you still have Wiggins in there, but they don't really have anybody coming off the bench that still like, you know, um, can really get you points like that. And, you know, then even though um, Scotty's really like uh, versatile, I don't feel like he's really like a, a point scorer, if that makes sense. You know, he's not going to be one that can like get his own bucket. He's more of a facilitator, you know, in the same way Draymond is. He's more of a facilitator, looks for others and, you know, he can slash, but that's not really like 
reliable offense. You don't feel like the Warriors could benefit from a more uh, like offensive minded pick. Yeah. So I think that those are great points as well. I think that with regards to the comment about a backup uh, guard, I think that the Warriors are going to go all in on um don't on say Jordan it. Poole at nah, this point. I said it. it. I said it. Oh, Santa Cruz, uh, war- former Warrior, Santa Cruz Warriors point guard, uh, Jordan Poole. I mean, he definitely showed his stuff after he got recalled up again from the bubble. Um, I definitely do believe in his potential. And I think that the Warriors want to give him a pretty sizable role. But yeah, I do agree that um, Scotty Barnes would kind of give you a more like we have players in the Warriors that are pretty much like alike. Uh, Scotty Barnes, right? You got kind of Paschal, you got Ubre, but I do believe that Barnes's playmaking is kind of what can set him apart. And I do believe that the Warriors desperately need more playmaking. I don't think that we have any playmakers at all on the Warriors besides, you know, Draymond and like Steph, but Steph's playmaking is, I mean, he's a great passer. I think that he makes good assists, but a lot of his playmaking is just him, you know, with this off ball movement. So someone who can like drive into the rim, kick it out, you know, facilitate some of the shooting. I think Mm -hmm. that would be a pretty good help for the bench at least. And then Matt, I have a question for you. Would you want, would you be open for the Warriors to trade both these picks for someone? Um, that's already proven in the league, you know, maybe an older veteran or just a, you know, bona fide star or anything like that. It really depends on who we're going to go for, because I don't think that you would should trade those picks unless you get like a a six man kind of guy. Right. You gave me kind of like, if it was a year ago and you said that um, you could trade the second overall pick for like a miles Turner or something like that, I'd still be a little hesitant. Um, because that would cost us James Wiseman. Now that I've seen Wiseman, though, a little bit more, I would probably do that trade. Um, nothing against him. I think he develops, but I think that with Steph's timetable right now, you got to find a guy that can give you that presence right now, help Steph win, because you're not going to have this kind of MVP caliber player for that long, right? He's in his prime, but in kind of the latter end of his prime. So, if so you were to trade with that logic, wouldn't you want them to trade up? Wouldn't you want them to trade the picks this year then? It just depends because again, it has to be like the right fit, right? It has to be the right kind of player. Because if we gave up that pick again, because we were about to give up that 14th overall pick for Kelly Oubre, unless um, if it went top 20, but thank God we didn't because you know Oubre was literally a net negative with Steph Curry. Like when Curry was with Oubre and Wiseman they were hurting the Warriors a lot more. So when they both got hurt, that's when the Warriors started to actually go on a run and started to get um, make a playoff push. So it would have to be the absolute right fit. They'd have to be right with the scheme. They'd already have to like contribute right away and kind of display the kind of intelligence needed to kind of be a part of this motion offense and be a, a complete complement to Seth. And honestly, right. there's not a lot of players that I think would be able to do that if you threw out some names like maybe but like um let me yeah, let me, just, let, me let me throw out some names and some okay. like packages i've heard of just sure, like sure. scrolling through instagram and stuff um wiseman two picks and maybe someone else for joel and yeah come on yeah yeah we do that, <laughs> Wait, that that'll, be a robbery. that'll be a robbery i don't you think so hell yeah what the hell if they well, yeah, think about it, if you're not on the take Sixers, that trade you think not- I think so. I think if Embiid says shows frustration and you have um, someone like 
Ben Simmons, who you can also trade. So those are two star players. You get both, rid of both of them. You get almost five picks plus like someone like Wiseman. I don't know if that's necessarily a you bad give me trade. Ben. If you give me Ben Simmons, no, I don't want Ben Simmons. <laughs> okay, no, not ben I like I'm just saying, two for the two first round picks this year. Maybe Wiseman and one more. You would you would do that for Joel? Oh, of Absolutely, course. Man. Yeah, okay. I would literally. Embiid. I would literally drive Wiseman across the country in my yeah. Siena in order to personally <laughs> hand deliver him to the Sixers if that were the case. But that's yeah, not going to happen. Okay, okay. okay how about how about uh, same package for the Warriors, but for Bradley Beal? Oh yeah, come on again. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. Look, it's same thing? if it's an if it's a star. Always, I would always give the like. Okay, I think I probably would do that. Yeah, yeah. I know Beal is going to be a hard an, fit. But another like, player I've seen on that might be interested to be traded, not really linked to the Warriors, but just also just looking to be traded. Um, would you guys do the two first, the two first round picks just for Brendan Ingram? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, That's, I mean I, Ingram I, was. Uh, I mean, he was an all. He was an all star, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like all star, so, he's a like, he's a three level scorer too. I mean, Al Corver was an all star. <laughs> Jeff Teague, Jeff was Teague an yeah, Jeff Teague was an all star. Like I get it, but like yeah, I I guess I'd do it because you know again probability of the picks being you know being able to contribute right away again right. maximize Steph's prime. I'd do Ingram off the bench or Ingram in the lineup. That'd be fine yeah. with me. Interesting, interesting. Um, let me think about a few other names. Um. Who else was interested in being traded? I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Um, would, would you guys be interested in like the two two picks and Wiseman for someone like Bam Adebayo? Yeah, I think Wiseman and two picks for Bam. Hmm. You'd add a defensive presence, but um, I don't know. You also can't shoot like the yeah. life, for the life of him, which no one ever wants to discuss, but Batman Bam cannot shoot a mid-range. But he is a center. Yeah. Like, we give him, like, that shit. He's an undersized. Like, he's, like, a power forward center, but he's not exactly, like, a center. Yeah. I and guess, I also question like, the spacing with him and Draymond as oh, yeah. well. But, I mean, he's a great player in his own right. I, I definitely do think that the Warriors need, like, someone who can provide instant offense. Like, what, you know, Embiid or Beal or Ingram would provide, you know? Mm-hmm. I think right. they just go like, for guys like that. You don't utilize – you don't give up that much value for a center – Especially in the Warriors scheme, because the center is very like. Yeah, you've seen people like Javel in their system. Yeah, you give yeah. Embiid right, like Embiid's yeah. an All Star, right? I'll, of yeah. course, we're gonna do that, but like if it's like anyone else, right? You know, yeah, Javale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, David West, we like we use yeah. all those players, right? Okay. We want we want our centers and the Warriors to play within the offense, you know. Like I think the perfect. That's why Wiseman was kind of an. Yeah, the perfect goal should be like what DeAndre Aiden's saying right now. You know, he doesn't yeah. get touches explicitly for him, but he always like shoots incredibly very efficient with the ones he gets. Yeah, and he's also a very good finisher. He mm-hmm. helps anchor the defense. Okay. He's a bad defender, but now I got, he's I, got great. I got one last trade for you guys. Would you trade the seven? Just the seven for Miles Turner. I know he was someone you brought up last like earlier, Matt. <sighs> very wise man. So would you trade just the seven for, for Miles Turner? I'm gonna say no. Because we okay. don't need a center like Wiseman and Turner, and then Booney maybe, and then like it's a yeah I don't know it's just yeah we I don't have, think it's necessary. we're gonna have to keep we're gonna keep Wiseman then too which would be redundant yeah. but I mean Miles Turner like he's a DPOY candidate 
he can he has great range yeah, too. He's, he's a good player, and I like he's him. A, he's a very good player. Yeah, a lot of teams have coveted like his skills, and I think that like Indiana, like just being there in general, like that's definitely hurt his national stock. But I yeah. do think that on the right situation, he can really break out. Yeah. But I want yeah, I would I'd be down for the seven overall. It's the seventh pick. Yeah, like. I think that uh, Turner would be a great addition to the Warriors. You'd want him? I'd want him, yeah. Because okay. the seventh, like the seventh overall pick, that can always boom or bust, right? You want, you always want to gain like a known quantity. I'm always gonna be more biased towards that. That's true. Hmm. By That's the way, I got for you guys. I was wrong. It was Chris Mullen, not Rick Barry. Rick Barry was second, I believe. Chris Mullen was number seven. So good, but yeah, yeah still like a Warriors legend. Yeah. yeah. You know, legends uh-huh. Curry, Mullen, and Harrison Barnes. <laughs> Big three. <laughs> oh, my God. So we're going to move on here. Um, because we have started the conference finals between the Suns, Clippers, Hawks, and Bucks. That means that there were also four losers in the mix. The 76ers, the Denver Nuggets, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Utah Jazz all fell in the second round the Jazz and Sixers of which were the first overall seed in both of those um, conferences. And I believe the last time that happened was around um, 1995 or like 94, I want to say, somewhere along those lines. Let's get started with a quick debate here. Basically, the Utah Jazz blew a 25-point lead in Game 6 and lost the series to the Clippers and allowed the LA Clippers to go to their first um, Western Conference Finals in like 50 years and the Philadelphia 76ers in game five blew a 26 point lead to the Atlanta Hawks and um, went on to lose the series in seven. So which one was the bigger choke here, I guess, in your opinion, if you've watched, like if you watch both of those games, which one did you see was like the bigger one? I think I speak for most people when I say the Sixers choked harder, like much harder. Because with the Jazz, right, the thing with the Jazz that I can kind of give some credence to is that Mitchell was injured near the end. And that definitely does affect, like, how he would be performing. But, I mean, he was still, like, the only player that kind of did well in Game 7 when Terrence Mann dropped, like, 39. Mitchell was still, like, basically keeping them in the game for a lot of it, too. So I also believe that when it comes to just like the timeline too, right? I mean, Mike Conley was out for basically the majority of the series. And when Mike Conley did play, like he looked terrible, right? So that they were also affected by injuries in that regard as well. I mean, Mike Conley was a very big part of the success this year. So yeah. And I mean, Rudy Gobert, I mean, about Rudy Gobert, he definitely got targeted on, you know, it seems like every Clippers started scoring on him at will, especially Terrence Mann. You know, I mean, Rondo, Luke Kennard, they all stepped up as well. But I I think that, you know, Rudy Gobert is what, what he is at this point. I mean, he's not, he is a great rim protector, sure. But like, you got to be able to defend the perimeter too. And there's still definitely some holes in this game, especially on offense. But I think the real reason why I give the Sixers the bigger edge as to which is the bigger choke job is because of the timeline, right? You literally see what the Sixers have been building up over the past few years. They literally had the one, the one, and the three pick. And they kind of had a freer path, maybe the freest path to the finals that they've 
that they're going to have in a while, right? They were the better team. They were going to beat the Hawks. If you replay that series, I think the Sixers beat the Hawks, right? They have better talent. They have a literal MVP candidate year in and year out. The Hawks team is not as good, honestly, as the Philly team at their best. And they they definitely didn't perform when it mattered most. They had the leads in many games and they blew it. They're not going to get a freer path next year when the Nets cross their fingers are fully healthy. And I mean, this could possibly be like, you know, their last swan song, you know, like in terms of them going farther into the playoffs. I mean, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I think what a colossal failure this entire season was and what it means for the Sixers' future. I'm sure we'll get to more of the, uh, how, how bad the Sixers were. And do you want to get your opinion on it? Like, did you have- See, I, I, I disagree. I would say the Jazz <laughs> was the bigger, the bigger class. Just think about it. You know, you you make a great point with what you said about how, um, they, you know, that the, the Jazz were hurt, but not really. I mean, yeah, Mike Conley came back, but their best player was still the injured player. You know, Don Mitchell was their best player in game seven. And he was the one that was hurt. So it's not really making any, you can't really make excuses for someone that already dropped 30 points. And they were up 2-0, dropped four straight, and lost the last two without Kawhi. You know, that's that's what I would consider a choke job, you know. Like, um, at its finest, if you think about it, and you take into account for what they did last year, blowing the 3-1 with the Nuggets, this is, I guess, the Jazz now. You know, they're playoff chokers. I don't want to, like, be one to just, you know, you know, create narratives and call people chokers and stuff, you know. But, I mean, at this point, like, it's been two years in a row. They should have won this year, especially after Kawhi got hurt. They made they, – they were single-handedly changed pandemic P back to playoff P, you know. They allowed him to play so well that people would stop hating on him. Who would have ever thought that would happen? You know how, like, kind of, like, ass you have to be to, like – make the player get the good nickname again you know like yeah, it's crazy i just think that i think that's a big thing you know when it comes down to like if you when you're looking at their team and you're, you know you think about like the expectations we have as a one seed you know in the west have your racist ass crowd with you and you know you're supposed to be you know be like favorite sure we're talking and, about utah or philly we're talking about, you know, <laughs> we're talking about utah <laughs> no but yeah I don't know. I just feel like, especially the way they lost, you know, like, you know, the Hawks, they, you know, they get lost game seven, you know, they went all the way to game seven and, you know, Kevin O'Hare had a good, really good game seven, but for the first six, it was mostly all Trey Young. And then you have the, on the other hand, you have the Jazz who are letting Reggie Jackson cook them. They're letting Terrence Mann cook them. They're letting PG cook them. Like there was just pick a game, pick a clipper, and they're going to go off, you know. It wasn't any defense being played from what was the top five defense in the regular season, you know. They couldn't hit shots, and they were, what, one of the historically three, like on pace for one of the historically three greatest three-point shooting seasons as a team, you know, couldn't hit anything. And it's just kind of like, if you look at that and you take and you take in the backstory of last year, I think it was just, you know, it's kind of ugly for them. You know, Sixers, they had a lot to do with just the roster setup, and, you know, we'll talk about the Sixers later and what's wrong with everything there. But in the sense of the Jazz, though, I just feel like, you know, you have a, a certain things like expectations and an obvious superstar in Donovan Mitchell, the guy who just got his third defensive player of the year and got absolutely cooked, absolutely cooked game after game. And, you know, like, I feel like that is a bigger choke job than anything that the anything that the Sixers did, even though, you know, the Sixers did also go game seven. 
and sort of kept it close until the end. Yeah, I mean, that's not like that's not a mutual sub series. Like they're both huge jokes, right? Um, I saw the six. I saw the Jazz um, Clippers one, and I was seeing it just in slow motion. It's just like you just saw it absolutely turning the Clippers way. They were making every shot. The Jazz were doing everything, and they were completely undisciplined. They were throwing basically throwing the game away, and they were. They finally lost the lead, I believe, like around eight minutes into the fourth quarter. So they had a lot of time to get it back together, but they just never composed themselves and never were able to kind of get back into it. And yeah, they lost four straight basically in a row after they were up um, 2-0 in the series. That's a huge choke. But I, even though I didn't see the Philadelphia game, I think it was just the biggest choke ever. Because look, I didn't even turn on the game because I thought it was going to be a blowout because it was a blowout. They were up by 26 in the third quarter. I don't have to see that. It's an embarrassment. And the fact that they were able to come back and they had, they were up by 10 in the, with four minutes to go, basically. They were already up by 10 with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They were up by 10. The fact that, you know, the whole roster construction, everything about it. And the other thing is that, you know, the Jazz lost at um to the Clippers in LA. Yeah. Philadelphia lost at home. In front of Dr. J and Allen Iverson. They choked that thing. They should have won and they could have won the series basically off of that. And the fact that they let a vastly inferior team, I believe, in the Atlanta Hawks, because I think that, you know, the Clippers were way more talented, even without Kawhi Leonard. But they let, you know, Trey Young and they let they beat themselves too, basically, when they let them play Hacka Simmons and they killed like they killed themselves, basically. And I believe Joel Embiid missed two free throws at the end of the game, too. It's a massive choke. I'm sorry. And, you know, it's just the Philadelphia way. There's just no way. I think the franchise is cursed. I think the whole city is cursed. Burn it down. It's over. But, you know, both move on. They both lost in seven. I mean, I think one, Jazz lost in six, Sixers lost in seven. They both lost. But let's move on real quick, and let's talk about another team that lost in seven and another team that might be worthy of derision in the Brooklyn Nets after creating basically a super team. First, Kyrie and KD joined up together last year, and then they traded a ton of pieces and draft picks for James Harden, uh, who are a former MVP, basically Kevin Durant, joins up with another MVP again. And they were expected to basically blow by everyone, meet the Lakers in the finals, and, um, you know, do what they do there. But they lose in the second round to the Bucks in seven. And, you know, obviously there's going to be kind of an asterisk. Call it what you may if you wanted to, if, um, if Kyrie or Harden didn't get hurt. But, you know, let's just start off with a like basic question here do you think they would have won the series if Kyrie and Harden if they had the full squad basically I would I would say 100% they would win I just feel like of course yeah yeah like it's just not really like debatable in my opinion because if you just take um if you just take like what you know which is that Kyrie who is a fourth quarter fourth quarter and end of the game killer, you know, like we have to give the man his respect. That's what he does. He closes games and he is one of the best to close games at the end of the game. And what happened in game seven, if we're just taking game seven alone, not even talking about what the rest of the series would have looked like with Kyrie, 
in that game seven at the end of the over and especially in overtime, they could not get a bucket. That's when you need someone like Kyrie, you know, like obviously Harden, we've seen his playoff woes before. He was mostly there, you know, as a a big regular season supporter and one of the main reasons they got to the playoffs, right? But Kyrie was going to be their playoff guy, you know, you know, like, you know, Kevin Durant did what he could. He got the team to the end of the fourth and then into overtime. And, you know, he was inches away, a smaller shoe size away from ending the game, right? But he couldn't. And, you know, in that overtime and in that end of that fourth quarter, I think he has someone like and just as good as Kyrie playing. I think it's a guaranteed win. And honestly, let me ask you guys a question then. If you guys – if you guys were to bet, right, and you see all the teams' rosters, if the Nets come back with James Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant, and, you know, whatever little pieces that they change around them, would you not consider them still favorites? I would say that they're still easily favorites, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're 100% favorites. I mean, you saw what Katie did. He tried, like, that corpse of a Nets team. And, I mean, Harden, even if Harden was 50%, of his regular self. I mean, the problem was that he obviously got those like hamstring injuries and looking at the shots that he took and like the way that he jumped with his legs, it was very clear that he probably was not in a condition to be playing. Um, but he kind of just had to be there because I mean, who else could the Nets really put in? They really don't have like the, the personnel at this point, right? So it was basically just going to be Harden being the decoy slash kind of like person who moves around the ball kind of helps with the movement around with it and then it's just katie doing just this iso and you know getting all these insane crazy shots and he after everything everything that happened he was still able to basically bring that game to overtime bring it to game seven i mean if anything it's actually even more embarrassing to me a little bit that then that the bucks didn't close out sooner if anything right so if you look at the Nets with your full roster, everyone's healthy, everyone is in full strength, and with Cedric's Pyramus, I mean, you obviously, in my opinion, would say that the Nets are going to be the favorites next season. I don't hold any of this, the losses that they had uh, against the Bucks this year against them. I mean, it was an incomplete roster. Um, they were injured, right? So if you had Kyrie, if you had Harden, in my opinion, it's a wash, dude. I mean, the Nets would easily be killing the Bucks out there. Yep, I think that I think the same thing. Kyrie, Harden, Durant, it's over. No one basically has a more talented big three right now, I think, than those three. And then they also got Blake Griffin, who is in, in really impactful actually throughout this entire series. It was yeah. pretty impressive. He's been um, a great role player for them. And yeah. honestly, if you can also blame the Nets L on some other role players too. Most of it will be Joe Harris, who seemed to basically miss everything in game seven. And if he was even like his usual self, you know, the game's over as well, in my opinion. And also Jeff Green. I mean, he dropped seven of eight threes for eight of nine threes. I forgot when Katie had his maestro performance. He didn't even shoot the ball once. And I think he played like 17 minutes too. Like, I don't know how someone who's, been a key and capable like three-point scorer you know how does he not shoot even once that's kind of beyond me i i don't understand it at all you've seen the recent trend where they like photoshop the team player like the player to guangdong or shanghai yeah <laughs> what do you mean the player you know what you're talking about say it kyle kuzma kyle kuzma <laughs> um 
Ben Gross Simmons. is there. Ben, <laughs> ben Simmons. Ah, Shooter. Damn. Shooter's there. I, I saw Shooter. I did see Shooter somewhere. Joe Harris I saw. Um, uh, Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero. Yeah, Tyler yeah, Hero. I've seen Tyler Hero in a few of them. That man has completely shit the bed this series and this year. He's regressed. Was he looked podcast. terrible, dude. <laughs> he just looked so bad out there against the Bucks. It was not even fun to watch. I got the roster. CJ McCollum, Rudy Gobert, Christoph Porzingis. You Julius mean uh, Pingus Pingus? Pingus Pingus. <laughs> That's what they call him crazy now. <laughs> that is an odd nickname. Yeah, it is, but it's kind of funny, though. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. I... Most people hate the Twitter trend of like calling everyone frauds. Kevin DeFraud, LaFraud James. But the Mickey? Yeah, the Mickey. <laughs> I love it. Hate all you want. Hey, Disney, go off. <laughs> it's a good day to be a player hater. <laughs> it's a good era to be a player hater. It's a really good era. <laughs> Speaking of which, we got to keep on the hate train going here. We're basically Picking up the like, center for the Guangdong Tigers. How about uh, <laughs> how about Gobert, man? That are reigning DPOY. Yeah, it seems like the theme for this episode. We're just gonna like shit all over the next two teams. I'm just gonna get my Warriors homers and out of the way. Yeah, you know, Gobert's three DPOYs. Draymond deserves at least one of them, dude. Draymond deserves like yeah, at least at one. least one of them. I mean, Gobert. I mean, he is definitely the best rim protector in the league by far. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. But here's the thing, right? The the Clippers, and credit to Ty Lue, I think Ty Lue is very underrated. That's an X's and O's coach, by the way, and with his rotations. But he basically played small ball the entire time at Game 7. Basically just shot Gobert out of the court. Like, Gobert was, like, I think, the game, the lowest plus minus on the court. Um, I think 12 points, only 10 rebounds. Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson, they all cooked him. They all just like kept on shooting it from outside. Gobert was too scared to meet them at the perimeter. So, I mean, in my opinion, I honestly thought that this year, and this is might be a little bit more controversial, right? Considering everything that's happened over the past few days, I thought that Ben Simmons was probably like my defensive player of the year because Ben Simmons, he's versatile, right? He can guard one through five. He is pretty good at the rim. He's a great perimeter defender. I mean, he can basically, like, swallow guards with his speed, his height, his athleticism, his strength. I, I definitely think that, like, if you have to be a defensive player of the year, you got to be able to, to guard the perimeter. I mean, basically, a lot of offense he says is predicated around the perimeter, too. So, in my opinion, I think that's where Gobert's um, weakness really lies. And I know that's been kind of a narrative. I know there's some moments where Gobert defends the perimeter, I know there was a moment earlier where he contests a shot and that base at the three, and that basically ended up winning the game. But I mean, it's not consistent enough. You know, I don't think that's worthy of being the defensive player of the year. That's just my opinion. Yeah, there's just really no excuse because you can't tell me the three time defensive player of the year, the current reigning defensive player of the year, is going to be targeted against. Like they were literally targeting him at the end of this game. Like, they, they wanted to switch on to him. It's just, like, ridiculous. And he there was literally no reason for them to, like, deviate from that because I think they went, like, 6 of 8, right? I think they went 75% from the field when they targeted Rudy, Rudy Gobert. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around. It's not just Gobert's fault. Um, you know, 
uh, like they blew by the perimeter defenders, right? Mitchell was not, you know, on his game when it came to that. And Quinn Snyder should have taken him out if Ty Lue was going to go small ball. But, you know, you never want to kind of like admit that or like sometimes it's a matter of pride. Sometimes it's a matter of just thinking like, wow, they're going to like roast me even more if I take out my defensive player of the year just for, you know, nothing, right? Like it's a, it's a hard decision to make. But at the same time, you know, he's getting cooked up there. He's getting absolutely cooked out there. And when it comes to the defensive player of the year, and I know it's not going to change anything. We're just, you know, one podcast full of people and we're probably not going to change the NBA. But if you were to ask my opinion about how to vote for defensive player of the year, you have to go for more than just, you know, the gaudy stats, right? If you were to pick a player like, like they're always going to pick the best defensive player like of the regular season, right? It's a regular season award thing for all of the awards. But if you're going to pick a guy to be the defensive player of the year, you got to pick a guy with the most defensive impact for his entire team, the guy who can guard one through five. Like, the guy basically you could say, okay, if I were to put, like, the MVP of this year, like, or, like, any superstar, like a Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, right, I needed one guy to guard him, right, for one bucket, right, one possession. Who would you pick, right? And there's only a couple of like people you would really pick in that like rotation. You could say Ben Simmons, maybe. I'd say obviously Draymond Green, and I'm obviously very biased. But you know, I'd I'd find it very hard to believe that anyone would kind of pick Rudy Gobert to go against any player basically that they wanted to, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's just how I feel. I think Rudy Gobert is great defensively in situational basketball, whereas like you know someone like Ben Simmons, Draymond Green. They can go in any situation. They are, they, you know, the defense is built around them. Even though in the same sense, like, the defense is also built around Rudy Gobert. Obviously, it's not built around anybody else. But it's, like, when you're able to, you know, find an easy exploitation of defense, then that's when the whole defense looks lackluster, like it did for the Utah Jazz, you know? It's not like Rudy Gobert just looked bad. You know, at a certain point, they all look really bad, you know? And I think that's like the big thing that uh, people aren't realizing, you know, obviously Gobert is getting cooked, but when, you know, cause you're built, building the defense around him, even players like Ben Simmons, you know, they're not the greatest offensively and whatnot, but you know, he did play amazing defense on Trey Young, you know, in game seven, Trey Young was only what, four of 20, three of 20, something like that. Right. So like, come on, you, you know, that's, that's these six, nine garden guys, six, two, six, three. And, you know, who literally just cooked the one number one defensive rating in the, in the NBA and the Knicks. And now he was, you know, doing his thing against the Sixers until, you know, they put Ben Simmons on him. And, you know, that is what I feel like is the big thing is, you know, like Matt was saying, you have to be able to, you know, say, all right, you're my best defender. I need you to guard this guy take him out, take like neutralize him, take him out, slow him down, do something, not the exact opposite where, Hey, we're going to try to hide you on defense and they're still going to expose you. That's not what a defense player of the year is. You know, you can't just, you can't just feed off the zoo box and the, you know, these guys are like old school centers and stuff. You got to be able to guard whoever, whenever and most needed. And that's why I I feel like, you know, these defensive player of the years that Gobert is kind of getting now, they're kind of just based off reputation instead of what he's currently doing right now on the on the court. It absolutely is. And, like, it's not just an excuse of size, right? Because you look at people like Embiid and Miles Turner, those guys would never get 
you know, that burned on ISA or a pick and roll. Those guys that actually do close in at the perimeter and are able to defend outside, and they are pretty laterally more quick. When I watched the game, I noticed a couple of things, right? I think the biggest, um, well, as I was mentioning before, right, the Clippers playing small ball ended up being the Jazz's kryptonite because whenever Paul George would basically drive in to the rim, Gobert would always miss him or I would always like basically meet him at the rim and Paul George can just basically kick it out to the corner for the guy that Gobert basically gives up on because Gobert's supposed to be basically covering the perimeter when they're playing small ball because they only have five shooters are playing a five out system. But when Gobert tries to help at the rim, what they do is that Paul George just kicks it out and basically they get like a practice sh- court, like three. So Quinn Snyder also refused to go small in that series. Quinn Snyder should have taken out Rudy Gobert and I definitely do think that, you know, if you're a defensive player of the year, you got to be able to be versatile, as you guys are mentioning before, cover a wide variety of situations. Gobert, in my opinion, I mean, he is very good at drop coverage, defending that those situations at the rim. But I do believe that he is pretty one-dimensional when it comes to defense, as Jamon Green was mentioning before. There are a lot more things in defense that don't just involve, you know, all the fancy blocks and, you know, defending the rim there's a lot more to it you know how you defend go over screens how you basically read the person's defense how hard of a time they give them where they don't feel comfortable going for like the right when they go for a drive but rather their left and vice versa depending on what hand they're playing also how to basically like navigate in like zone versus you know you play man to man those are there's a lot more to defense and just basically just standing around at the rim and just you know putting your hands up, which I feel like Gobert kind of does a lot of the time. So I'm definitely a little bit biased when I say that, but I do think that the reason why I also said that the Jazz didn't choke as hard is because I thought that people generally know that um, that uh, Rudy Gobert, he kind of is just good at one thing when it comes to defense, and they kind of just played their style. So I can't really call the choke job when the Jazz don't really play a style other than what they've been doing all season. I mean, let me defense. take that one step further for you. I think, I mean, you can hold me to this. As long as Gobert is their second or third best player on the Utah Jazz, especially their second best player, they'll never be a championship team. And, oh, yeah. you know, uh, you know that makes sound like... I agree with that. No, like, no, no, that's completely... I feel like it's completely... Yeah, I think, like, in today's league, like, if Gobert, who has no offensive game, can only guard the paint, he would have been the best player in the league in 1950, bro. But it's not 1950 anymore, you know. Like it's there's guys man. like Stephen Curry, even his brother Seth Curry, you know. Like you see what he's doing on the Sixers; they're just shooting, you know, and like they're taking advantage of these easy matchups. So until until you really, you know, put a threat out there um, alongside Donovan Mitchell, I don't think they're a championship contender. I don't care how many regular season games they win. They need an. He needs an offensive game. If he could be just as big of a like a rim threat on offense than on defense. They would have just, you know, they could have crushed the Clippers, I think, because Clippers don't have a lot of big men. If go go if Gobert could make them pay for their small ball lineup on Look either what side, Aiden's doing. then yeah, Look what Aiton's doing, you know, and you're kind of really sad to say that Aiton has more of an offensive game than Rudy Gobert, and Rudy yeah. Gobert has just got like a humongous contract extension, right? So two hundred and five million. <laughs> You know, that that to me is absurd. I think we just we discussed that pretty in previous podcasts and we have the same opinions. Like you can't win with the Gobert being your second best player, but you know, the Jazz are really trying it. More power to them, I guess. But 
you know, they're wasting Donovan Mitchell's career. And this is how you lose superstars like Donovan Mitchell in your organization. Speaking of which, do you think that Donovan Mitchell is on his way out? Do you think that he has seen all he needs to see? And because they, they lost a three to one lead to the Nuggets the year before right. we mentioned that. And now they've lost a two zero lead to the Clippers. They were the first seed. They had the best record in the NBA. Um, could this I mean, be all they what do? Like, what do they have going for them? Like, what would they be able to do? They just signed Gobert to this enormously huge contract, making him almost untradeable. I don't know why any team would want to get him other than acquiring like more picks. Like, if you're the Thunder or something, and they offered you two picks alongside Gobert, then it sort of makes sense to take. But like, you know, no, not many teams are in situations like that, or even want players like Gobert. So they're locked in with Gobert. You know, they paid a lot of money for Bogdanovich. They're about to give – I don't think Mitchell signed, right? So he's going to get a lot of money. Mitchell already signed a Supermax. Right. So, I mean, it's, it looks like their yeah. roster is locked and loaded for the next few years, you know? So, I don't know. It's just for me, it's like – it's kind of ugly for them in, their, in the situation they're in right now. And I don't know how they're going to, like, make the roster that much better because, you know, they're not bad enough to where they're going to get a, a good, decent pick, you know? So they're going to keep getting these late-round, first-round picks. And we've noticed, like – for the most part, those usually players are not going to be immediate starters or immediate help in postseason games, right? So I, I don't know what they do next. I mean, in my opinion, you can't really get a much better situation than what the Jazz currently have, right, in the league. I mean, for a pretty good stretch of this season, they've been the best team, the most balanced team on offense and defense. I mean, yeah, sure, they can be pretty streaky with their shears. Jordan Clarkson can be kind of a ball stopper. But I think what killed them in game seven was kind of just their defense, really. I mean, the Clippers shot like 51% from beyond the arc because Quinn Snyder played a very flawed strategy of just keeping Gobert in the game, not going small. I mean, literally, Gobert matched up at Nicholas Batum. Batum is basically like a small forward, right? Like a couple years ago, back up before the small ball era, he was playing small forward. He isn't exactly a, a player whom Gobert can cover outside the paint. And I, I agree with you guys, you know. I think Mitchell and Gobert, they've had their tussles in the past. It seems as if they got better, at least on paper, at least what they've been presenting to the media. But I do believe there could be a moment in time where Mitchell just gets frustrated with the Jazz. But once again, he just signed a Supermax contract. I don't know what they can get in return for him because Mitchell kind of is just a guard that drives in a lot, and you really have to kind of predicate a lot of your offense around him. Um, so Because he kind of was a one-man wrecking crew on the Jazz. I see a lot of teams interested in someone like Donovan Mitchell. I don't, I don't know. I feel like that... In a vacuum, yeah, I agree with that. But I don't know if they're willing to take on that cap hit. Depends on yeah. what the Jazz can get in return. But they'd have I mean, to get I feel a, like there would be teams up. interested in Donovan Mitchell that would take the cap hit, take whatever it yeah. takes to get him, think, you know? Because at the end of the day, like... Mitchell, right? Then Gobert. Oh, definitely, yeah. No yeah. one wants Gobert. I think Gobert is honestly <laughs> un- untradeable. Like, you cannot trade him. Like, he's like Clark like Ben Simmons. They killed it. They killed the stock by leaving him out there, you know? Letting him keep... Like, if you take... Gobert out of the game, he doesn't get cooked, but you lose, then you can say, okay, we could try it with Gobert in. You can always, like, sell that to teams, right? But what are you going to sell to a team that's interested in Gobert now? Like, you know, they watched him literally get cooked game after game, you know? Like, it's hard to sell that to anybody that's interested in him, right? So where where do you even go with trading him? So you're kind of, what are you left with? You're left with, like, 
basically a bunch of unmovable contracts and you know it's a ugly situation to be in to say the least yep it seems like the jazz kind of are in that purgatory and they've got kind of an aging roster they hit their peak and they have a player with the max contract that they can't move and is mediocre in a similar situation and on a similar note we're going to move on to the 76ers who are in the same situation practically and they just lost their seven game series to the Atlanta Hawks a fifth seeded team that was some would have even picked to be bounced out in the first round now they even toppled the first seed 76ers a lot of 76ers fans and a lot of NBA fans may have thought that this was also the Sixers years the process was finally complete and this was kind of their season Joel Embiid was an MVP candidate and they were one of the best defensive uh, teams necessarily. They thought Doc Rivers was an upgrade over Brett Brown. And it has all led to the 76ers being bounced out of the second round yet again. So Vivek, the 76ers have been a very common topic between us over the years. Um, we've notably covered them in several off seasons. And every time we do, we say the process is complete. This is the final iteration of their roster. Uh, we said that before with Josh Richardson, I believe. I mean, we've said that with Al Horford, I believe, at the roster. And then yeah. we said it last year. So let's say this again. Let's let's ask this again. <laughs> <laughs> is this the final completion of the 76ers lineup, or is there bound to be more changes now? That's a really hard question because from what it sounds like, what, what Dara Mori said in his interviews on Monday, um, it sounds like he's going to explore, quote, all the options available to make the team better. And he's just going to execute upon that, right? So I think that the main thing, obviously, is Simmons. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I think Simmons basically was the main reason why they lost the series basically completely disappeared on offense. Um, his assists, which look good on paper, aren't really meaningful assists because if you actually watch a lot of the film and how he distributes it, he's kind of passing it, like giving small passes within the paint. And they weren't exactly like op- more open looks or better shots than the shots that he w- himself could have gotten had he just stuck with the ball and actually toss up a shot instead of looking to pass it all the time. So in terms of playmaking in this series, he was overrated. It just looked like he was completely skittered, honestly. And I do think that he has a lot of mental issues right now regarding, you know, his game and maybe other things beyond that. And I think all those things kind of coalesced into one point and it kind of just ended up being the Achilles heel in the series. I mean, you look at other people in, I mean, Ben Simmons, in his draft, I believe he was drafted in, I want to say 2015, 2016, around that that year. But if you look at other players in that draft, you've got like Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Sabonis, Siakam, Jamal Murray, Brogdon Levert. All those people were able to actually improve their scoring since when they got drafted. And Ben Simmons, he hasn't made any tangible improvements on a shot if anything, he was shooting way more when he was playing in the G League or in the Summer League. Or sorry, not the G League, the Summer League than now. So in my mind, it just clearly seems that like Simmons regressed on offense. And 
I I think that if you start with what's wrong with this team, I think that that's not, that's a real issue. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that Ben Simmons is gone. Um, who they bring in for him, I think that's a very whole different topic that I don't know. Like we really know. Go bear. Who do you go bear? <laughs> if that, yeah, maybe. But you know, Ben Simmons, I think he just needs to work on his confidence and let, let alone his shot. Obviously, I feel like a lot of the shot has to come with confidence. You know, if you've ever played, you know, so the big thing with shooting is like if you're not confident, the ball you could, you know, you could be a foot away, right, and it's not going to go in, or you're not going to shoot it. You know, you're just not confident in yourself and your own ability. You know, then everything else from there trickles down, right? So Ben Simmons is just missing confidence, right? But Philadelphia hasn't really been the city to like really support players throughout their downs. You know, with Mark Fultz, they, you know, destroyed him. And then, you know, he never was the same. Now Ben Simmons is the next, you know, like hopefully he'll be better, but I think he's going to be traded. And, you know, this, there's still a piece away, I guess, from being a championship team, but I think this was like their best chance at winning and it kind of fell short. And, you know, it's kind of hard to just like, say we'll be back again next year with the, whoever they get for Ben Simmons, but you don't really know how that's going to work, you know, and then until it happens. And even then, you know, there's a many, there's a lot of competition in the East. They ran into the Hawks this year and lost, you know, what if the next year they're running up with the Nets or the, the Bucks or something like that, right? How do we know that they have even a chance against those guys? You know, this, if they lost the Hawks this year, you know, a healthy Nets team would probably slept them or something, right? So I think, you know, Regardless of who they get, they kind of tied up their cap, their salary cap in a lot of bad contracts with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and you know obviously Joel. I'm not going to call that a bad contract, but you know it's hard to it's hard when you know Joel's not really like a uh, I think someone you can be number one on a championship team, which is I think they're gonna I think they're gonna find out the hard way. They keep trying to put players around him to you know let him succeed. I think they need to find or get another superstar level player that would be willing to play alongside Joel. And so it'd be like a 1A, 1B, instead of just a 1 and a 2, because I don't think Joel can be your 1. I think that's something they're going to have to find and figure out. But I think the first thing they'll have to do is trade Ben Simmons. And I don't know what, like I like with Gobert, they kind of killed their own stock with him by leaving him in the game, you know. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the series, when Doc Rivers and others were doing the interviews, they, you know, directly or indirectly did not, uh, Say the nicest things about Ben Simmons to say the least, right? No, so, they shit on him. <laughs> yeah, they shit on him, you know, like so that doesn't really help him now that you're all this offseason when you're trying to trade him, you know. Their teams are gonna be like, look, you shot on him. Why should we take him, right? Like, what the what does he provide for us? You know, I think with a big trade right now that everybody's been talking about is McCollum for Ben Simmons. You know, I think that's interesting. I don't know, like like I said, I don't know if McCollum's your number two, you can become a championship team. You know, as a trailblazer, just you just tried it for five years. They couldn't, you know, so what moving him to Philadelphia, making him your two with Monsai Joel, that doesn't really sound like a championship roster still, right? So I don't know what will happen with Ben Simmons if we're holding up, but it doesn't seem like he is going to be a 76er for too much longer. I would, Damian Lillard would kill himself if he had to work with Ben Simmons after working with CJ McCollum. I mean, you I, need someone yeah. that could play defense. Any <laughs> goddamn person on that knows how to play defense. He'd so, also I mean, have it, to average like 50 a game to try and like, score. I mean, he could do, he has a better chance he of averaging 50 than playing a lick of defense. So, you know, 
I don't know. It kind of works out on the Trailblazers side, but I don't know if you're the 76ers, why you would trade Ben Simmons. I think you regress with CJ McCollum. That's true. You know, but yeah, I mean, look, like he, they need a playmaker. Like the thing is, they've lost like the last three years basically because they don't have the spacing necessary to win, right? Yeah. They got Joel Embiid, right? He's their guy, he's their center. But every time you have to make Joel Embiid shoot outside from three because he's the literal only player who can do that because that's what they were dealing with for the past two years before they got guys like Danny Green and Seth Curry in there. Joel Embiid was basically their best three-point shooter. When your center has to be the three-point shooter in the offense, you're not making, you're not utilizing his best skills inside the paint, right? Like he's a good shooter, sure. But there are other players that have to do that, right? In order to best make the use of Joel Embiid. So, Embiid, when he's double teamed inside the paint, he can kick it out to a shooter like Danny Green and Seth Curry. And credit to Daryl Morey, he was able to get those guys. He was able to trade Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, which is an amazing deal. And it really, you know, it really helped them out. Um, and he, I think Curry's on for another two years under cost-controlled contract. That's a really good deal for them, especially if Ben Simmons is going to go because, um, you know, he's probably going to suit up and he's probably going to be the starter if they don't get another player. Regardless, it has been a problem for these past couple of years, and it's even a bigger problem because Ben Simmons has not improved. Like, you're getting a guy who's the first overall pick, yes, but you don't expect him to be the like the best player right away. He's supposed to make an impact, but he's supposed to like develop himself. You're supposed to develop little things, right? When Seth Curry came back after an offseason of like a whole season of being hurt, he came back with like a much stronger core. He came back with much uh, stronger legs and he was able to like be a lot more physical inside the paint, basically. And he is already a two-time MVP, a three-time like champion. He doesn't really need to improve a whole lot. He's already the best shooter in the world, but he still worked on his game. Like that, people still do that. Giannis learned how to try to develop a shot and stuff like that. Like there, even if you're a star, you still have to continue to get better because you, ha- you should have that desire to get better, right? You should, like, feel that innate sense of, like, you need to get better in order to kind of win it all. It seems like Ben didn't improve as much. Maybe he didn't develop as much, right? Did you guys and- hear about the thing that Stephen A said, that, like, his camp doesn't even push him to get better? It's really, they baby him. It's kind of makes sense, though, that, yeah. you know, it's his, it's his inner circle that he works around with a lot, doesn't really push him to get better, and, you know, that kind of limits how much you can do if you don't have the right people around you. It's a yes man kind of thing, right? So it's just like, right. it doesn't work. And this is a situation we're in now because now the entire world and like a national audience saw you go under the, like under the hoop and then pass it instead of dunking on Trey Young, who is, you know, if we're being generous here is like six foot, right? You're 6'10", dunk it, right? Like, it's just, he's too scared at this point. And, like, it's not even just the shooting thing. It's just he won't even make free throws. You got to develop your free throws at least, man. Like, Giannis takes fucking forever to make his free throws, but he makes them sometimes. It just doesn't seem like he has anything going on for him, like, in in terms of the scoring game. And if you're going to be the point guard of your offense, you got to develop at least some kind of, like, playmaking ability, right, other than just passing. you know, the rebounding is already there. You're a 6'10 point guard. Come on. But 
you gotta be, you gotta do at least something or you gotta change positions because this is just not working right now. And I think Philadelphia is gonna see him, like they're gonna ship him off if they can. Because I think any team he goes to, he's gonna end up playing the four at. I think he's gonna play a very similar role to the team, like the Trailblazers, like Draymond could. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best place he could benefit. If he just increases, he doesn't need to really technically need to shoot threes and mid ranges and all that. I mean, he just needs to be able to shoot a higher percent from the free throw line and he'll be fine in my opinion at the four because he has like all the other assets to play the four you know he has a post game he's tall he's big he can play defense on big men or just little little it gets switched on to little people he can guard them he obviously has no problem doing any of that so I think um, any team that gets him should not let him play point guard you know obviously Draymond hands the ball um, a lot of the time but he's not the point guard obviously right Steph Curry is that's the relationship I could see between um, Dame and Ben and why I think it could work. But yeah, I mean, the 76 would have to trade him, I think, at this point. Power forward would be very good for him. I think he could play the Draymond role. He'd have to be very, um, like, he has to be very good at running the pick and roll, but I think that he could probably do it. If that's all you ask of him, yes, I think he would be able to do it. But yeah. Curry has the skills right now to do that too. Yeah. Like defense, passing, rebounding those are all like Ben's you know superb traits it's just that if you want your point guard if you want him to be the primary ball handler you gotta actually have a shot in order to have defenses respect you and I don't know if he can ever do that at this point in his career I mean I by regardless though yeah he's had five years to work on it but I mean there's it's still not too late I mean people like Jason Kidd developed the shot very late into their careers so, I mean, there's definitely still possible a hope that's out there, but I don't know how much you know Ben himself wants to get better at shooting threes. Hopefully, with all this, you know, entire like hullabaloo, really, this entire whoop whiplash, the backlash about you know Ben's performance in the finals or semifinals rather, that he actually uses that as motivation to get better. But I do also think that the Sixers maybe misused him. He's not a point guard. He's a small ball four or five. His primary offensive unit capability should be to be like a pick and roll like roller. And he should probably be using Draymond roll. And he can maybe just pass us in transition, but he shouldn't be played as the initiator of well, offense. Has, that has a lot to do with the system court. though, you know, like he hasn't been really in the system where he could do anything like that. You know, every system that he'd been in so far, He's just been like, you know, especially with Huey Brown, I think that was the last coach and now Doc Rivers. We know Doc Rivers does not make adjustments, you know. He's, he's, he's ignorant, Doc Rivers. I don't want to be mean, but he's an ignorant coach. He will, like, stick to his philosophy until he loses a series. You've seen that with the Clippers last year, and you see that this year with the Sixers. He did not want to make adjustments, and, you know, that's what comes that comes back and it hurts them, you know. Like, he had chances to make adjustments, and, you know, even that adjustment is to move him to the four or have someone else as a primary ball handler, you know, try something different. They don't, you know, and that's – not technically all Ben Simmons' fault, but, you know, it, it. I think a lot of the blame does go to Ben Simmons, but then also Sixers haven't really tried to utilize him right. You know, obviously they built this team around more for Ben Joel Embiid, you know, bringing in all these shooters and stuff, but you know, they never truly gave Ben Simmons a chance to really, you know, uh, orchestrate the offense really how he could or, you know, be a off-ball player. They kind of just, you know, told him here, take the ball, and either play make or give the ball away and then just kind of go hide away in the middle of the court, right? He hasn't really been 
you know, in an offense that really flows or anything like that. So, you know, hopefully the Sixers will figure it out or trade him, which most likely they will trade him, but we'll see. Yeah, I do think that both sides benefit from a divorce. I do think that if Ben played the four, then that would clog up paint space with Embiid. I mean, Embiid was forced into the perimeter a lot of the time because he kind of had to. Um, because, I mean, not just because, I mean, Collins and Capella were there, but because, like, that's basically how he has to play offense now. A lot of the time, when you have Ben Simmons on your team, I mean, Ben, he's had, like, good perimeter shooters in the past. He had Redick, he had Butler, he had, like, Danny Green, Shake Milton, Moss, and he hasn't proved that he's a good point guard, you know? So I definitely do think that Maybe at this point, you just kind of cut your losses. You add your attention to them into a new role. But yeah, we'll see what happens this offseason. I think that will definitely be something to keep an eye out for sure. Yep, and I look forward to talking more about what the 76ers' eventual move is going to be with you guys. Um, because I'm sure that we're going to have to talk about it again. And um, maybe we'll see if the process will ever finally be completed or will it finally be um, put in its grave for good. But thank you guys for joining me today. Again, it's June 23rd, 623. So uh, happy Julia Serving and Draymond Green Day. Um, and from all of us here at Sports Council, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one, guys.